Hello, everybody. Welcome back to my podcast, Acting Without the Drama, where we keep the drama on the stage and in front of the camera and out of our personal lives. I'm Ben Hopkin, and today we are going to be talking about heightened text. Woo! I'm actually really excited about this. This is one of my favorite topics. So, first off, what is heightened text? Heightened text is any dialogue that doesn't feel like it is normal, contemporary, day-to-day speech. Basically, anything that feels just a little bit different or heightened. Any kind of speech that feels just slightly off of what we would normally hear, slightly heightened, slightly elevated, uh, multiple ways of sort of describing what that is. There are many playwrights and writers for television and screenwriters that use heightened text. Just to give you a couple of examples, David Mamet is one. He wrote State and Maine. He also wrote The Untouchables and writes for the television show The Unit in addition to many, many, many plays for theater. You also have Aaron Sorkin. Aaron Sorkin wrote An American President and he also wrote the television shows Sports Night, The West Wing, and Studio 60. So these are just some examples of some playwrights, some writers that use that kind of heightened dialogue. As we start to learn how to deal with heightened dialogue, the best way to do it, the best kind of training that we can get is in Shakespeare. (laughs) Now, the second that I say that name, I know that it brings up a whole host of demons for pretty much everybody especially for those that did any kind of education here in the United States, because I pretty much know exactly what your experience was. For most of you, your experience with Shakespeare up to this point has probably been something like this. You have been sitting around an English classroom, listening to your teacher go on and on and on about onomatopoeia and assonance and consonance and iambic pentameter, and your eyes start to glaze over, and then... You get to the fun part, where the teacher assigns parts to all of the different people, and you read through the play. And so basically, you're sitting around a high school classroom listening to the other students in the class read Shakespeare very badly. (laughs) And that's pretty much how we're introduced to one of the greatest playwrights that ever lived in the history of the English language. That seems a little wrong, doesn't it? I mean, I've thought about this. I'm not exactly sure how to fix it. I mean, really, we need to be introduced to Shakespeare, and I'm not sure how that's going to happen outside of an English classroom. So I'm not sure that I have the right solution, but I will say that one of the main problems with the way that we're introduced to Shakespeare is the fact that we're introduced to it as we are reading it. Shakespeare really was all about performance. His plays were intended to be performed, not read. So... Even if you responded to it, you were probably responding to the poetry, to the language, to the ways that he manipulated language, and he really was amazing. It's one of the reasons that English school teachers get so excited about working with Shakespeare's text, because they can find amazing examples of every single one of the literary devices that they're supposed to teach you. So they get all verklempt. They're like, oh, oh, assonance. Here's some wonderful assonance from Shakespeare. look at this. This is onomatopoeia. This is amazing. And the students are kind of going, great, good. How long do we have to go through this? So as we start to talk about Shakespeare as an example, and probably the supreme example of dealing with heightened text, one of the things that's really important for us to deal with is perspective. 
Now, this is a topic that I actually think is really fun to talk about. This is something that is always a little bit of an eye-opener. I may say some things as I'm going through this podcast that may initially seem to be a little offensive even, but I want you to listen really carefully because really what I'm trying to do is I'm asking you to open up your eyes, open up your ears, and really think outside of the way that you normally think. As we're talking about Shakespeare and talking about perspective, one of the first things that is really important for us to deal with is historical context. And that's what we're going to spend most of our time talking about right now, not because I want to teach you history. I'm not going to be giving you dates. I'm not going to be telling you about what king and what queen was ruling England during the time that Shakespeare was writing. That's not the point here. The point here is to understand the perspective and the historical context of the playwright in question, which right now is Shakespeare. What are some of the things that you have heard about Shakespeare, things that are probably rumors, things that are not generally taught, but things that you've heard about him? One of the things that generally comes up for everybody is Shakespeare was gay. And this is a really good thing for us to talk about because it allows us to immediately address that issue of perspective and historical context. So, was Shakespeare gay? Now, before I even ask you that question, I'm going to ask you a question that's going to sound exactly the same, but it's not. Does it matter whether or not Shakespeare slept with men? Of course, you look at that and the answer is no. Does it change him as a playwright? Does it make his works any less significant? Of course not. We look at Oscar Wilde's stuff and it's brilliant. doesn't matter the fact that he slept with men. Now, does it matter whether or not he's gay? The answer to that is actually kind of it does, because the word gay itself helps us to start to look at historical context and our own perspective that we generally don't take a look at. The word gay, when you really think about it, it's not just about two people of the same sex having intercourse. When you're talking about gay, really, that's talking about a lifestyle. And that is a concept that didn't exist until the modern day. There was no coming out of the closet in Shakespeare's day because there was no closet. First and foremost, Shakespeare's time was a very religious period of time. And if you were to admit that you slept with men, if you were a man or slept with women, if you were a woman, that was very likely not just a social death sentence, but it really could get you into physical danger as well. So that's one of the things that we need to look at. The other thing that we need to realize is that they really didn't have this, this concept of an alternate way of living. There was no alternative lifestyle. It just didn't exist. That is a very modern concept. So just asking the question, was Shakespeare gay, tells us that we're already thinking in a modern way. And it's really not a good idea, it's not a connected idea, to judge past time periods from our own modern perspective. It doesn't really work. So what we need to do is sort of embed ourselves in that historical time period and really learn what it was all about. So why do we think that Shakespeare was gay? Why does that rumor come up again and again? Well, the main reason is because of the sonnets that Shakespeare wrote. He wrote 154 sonnets, and out of those sonnets, the vast majority of them, we think, were written to a young man. And these are the sonnets that are generally considered the love sonnets. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day, thou art more lovely and more temperate, was written to a man. 
And from our modern perspective, we look at that and go, yeah, if he was writing that about a guy, he totally was gay. Because from our modern perspective, if you see two men walking down the street hand in hand, your immediate assumption is not just that they're gay, but that they're sleeping together. That is immediately where our minds go. But just a hundred years ago, that probably would not have been the case. It certainly would not have been the case if you were in Italy, Spain, some place other than the United States. So there are some things that we really want to watch for when we're looking at this historical context thing. In Shakespeare's day, men enjoyed much closer relationships with one another. That's something that's important for us to know. Men talked openly about loving each other, about having an appreciation for another man's beauty. Again, something that's very important for us to know. Shakespeare, as a matter of fact, in his sonnets, talks in one of the sonnets about how nature, as she was making this young man, started off creating a woman, but started to fall in love with her, and so decided to add one thing to make sure that it was a man instead of a woman. And yes, that is exactly what you're thinking. She added one thing, a penis, to create a man out of this woman, and therefore, me of thee defeated. The line is, me of thee defeated, basically meant that I could no longer share physical love with you, so we will share a deeper, more intimate, platonic love while you sleep with other women. And again, we look at that from our modern perspective, and we go, dude, if he was saying that about another guy, whoo, yeah, he was gay, totally. But again, stop, guys. Think about this for a second. Don't we get jealous of our guy friends when they start dating a girl? Bros before hoes, man. Bros before hoes. What you doing? That's exactly where we go because we get jealous. Why do we get jealous? Because we miss them. Because they're no longer spending as much time with us. And it does share a lot in common with that whole lover's jealousy thing. So when we're really honest with ourselves... The only thing that's really changed is the way that we talk about it and how open and honest we are about it. In Shakespeare's day, if a man thought another man was beautiful, they'd say it. But now, you don't really say to another guy, hey, that shirt makes you look hot. Women can do this. They can do that to one another. That shirt makes you look sexy. That outfit looks, makes you look so cute. But men generally don't feel comfortable doing that with one another because they feel like it's going to be interpreted as a come on. That's something that has developed into a societal norm, and it's something that we need to be aware of and we generally don't think about. Why is this important? Well, it's important because when we're looking at Shakespeare's plays, we will misinterpret the relationship between the male characters, thinking that they are gay and sleeping together, when in reality all that was intended was that they were very close, that they were like brothers. Now, is it possible to take Shakespeare's plays and turn them into something else? Yes, absolutely. Shakespeare's been dead for 400 years. He's not going to come back and haunt you because you decided to do something interesting to one of his plays. It's fine if you decide that you want to make that choice. I was in a production of Romeo and Juliet where the director wanted Benvolio to experiment with this idea that maybe he was in love with Romeo. Because Benvolio is constantly asking where Romeo is. Where's Romeo? Why isn't Romeo here? I miss Romeo. And it was the director's interpretation of that, that Benvolio had a crush on Romeo. That doesn't fit historical context, but it is absolutely a choice that you can make as either an actor or as a director. 
as you're doing it, just make sure that you understand that you're doing it against historical context and that you may be taking attention away from where it was intended to be. A couple of other areas where this same thing happens is the idea that Shakespeare was a misogynist, that he hated women. This is an idea that you hear from time to time. And the reason that we might feel this way is because when we read The Taming of the Shrew, here you've got a very strong, independent woman who is tamed, subdued by a man. He teaches her to be gentle. And we read this as a modern audience and go, oh, no, he didn't. He, no, you can't do that. That's not okay. But really? Let's take a look at that a little bit more closely. What were the roles of men and women in Shakespeare's day? And this is where it gets a little confusing sometimes, guys. We immediately go to the place of the women cooked, the women cleaned, the women cared for the children, the women did all of this work, and they were completely underappreciated by men. But when we're talking about the middle class and the upper class, that's just not the case necessarily. Generally, the women had a household staff that would take care of those things. Uh, the household staff would cook, they would clean, they had a nanny to care for the children, they had a wet nurse to nurse the children. So really, their responsibility was, yes, to bear children, but their real responsibility was social. And where men would be trained in business, they would go to the university and they would learn reading, writing, and arithmetic, and all of the variations of that so that they could be better at their businesses. Women would have the same kind of intensive training in terms of how to work things in society. Because in Shakespeare's day, there was no such thing as advertisement. Your advertising was basically the social parties and the social events that your wife would plan and execute. And I got to tell you, if you know anything about rules of etiquette, they are excruciatingly difficult to learn. There are so many little tiny things that you need to know. You've got two people that have the exact same social status that show up at the same time at your party. Who do you introduce first? Those kinds of problems, those kinds of questions were ones that were constantly being answered by the women. They were essentially the marketing team for the family business. And if they weren't behaving according to societal norms, they were shooting themselves in the foot. And this is, in essence, what Petruchio was teaching Catherine in The Taming of the Shrew, because let's look at Catherine honestly. Yes, she's smart. Yes, she's headstrong. Yes, she's this amazing character. And she's also kind of rude. She's mean to everybody. She's mean to her sister. She's mean to her father. She's mean to everyone without any kind of discrimination. So essentially what Petruchio was teaching her was how to be kind how to deal with and live with the societal norms that were there and present in that day. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about perspective. Anytime that we look at material, one of the things that we need to do is, number one, put it into its proper historical context, and number two, understand the perspective that the playwright is coming to the table with. So these are the kinds of things that we need to look at first when we look at any piece that has to do with heightened text. So it has been great fun talking to you about some Shakespeare stuff today. And we will be doing a little bit more of that as we continue on with this conversation about heightened text. Don't be afraid. This is actually a lot of fun. I enjoy working with Shakespeare and his text probably more than any other playwright. But I certainly didn't start off that way. I had the same misconceptions about Shakespeare and his works that everyone else did. 
Enjoy the process. Don't worry that you're going to be bored. Hopefully you haven't been bored today. And I look forward to the next podcast where we're going to walk through exactly how we perform heightened text. Please go to my website, www.actingwithoutthedrama.com. Check out my blog. Please leave comments. I get lonely on there from time to time, so make sure that you're leaving comments for me. Again, I look forward to having you here with me next time. And until then, get out there and act. Thank you for listening to our series, Creating Without the Drama. For more information about this podcast and many others, including writing without the drama, please go to www.creatingwithoutthedrama.com.